We are going to continue on in the series we're doing called Go Eat Popcorn. And it's called that because uh, I want you to remember the four books that we're really looking through, letters Paul wrote, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. In these letters to the churches are amazing foundational truths for the life that we are to experience in Christ. And so we need to look at these ideas and concepts and know them so we can experience the full and abundant, now and forever life that Jesus has come for us to have. Uh, We finished up with Galatians last week, and so this week we'll be digging into Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're headed. That's the intro. Transition, always a bad joke or two, or today it's four. And these are very bad, so I just like to extend that time period. Just for the record, I need a new phonograph. Thank you. I think there's about one or two million baseball fields in the world, but that's just a ballpark number. Okay. This, this is my favorite, but it hasn't worked very well. I was reading a, a paperback about Romania. It was so good, I, I read it for hours, but finally I decided I needed to give my book a rest. I just crossbred a crocodile and a homing pigeon. I expect that'll come back to bite me. (laughs) Scripture reading here on purpose. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So last week, we talked about being new creations. I had a, I had a friend text me what I think is a great example of this, and I wanted to share it with you. He said this, I think for me. The best analogy I have heard is that a new creation from a biblical perspective was like a new butterfly from a caterpillar. We're made new, but we still have the original DNA, memories, etc. But our potential has clearly changed. Our perspective has changed drastically. Originally crawling and climbing to now flying above it all to such heights and views, but still having been given the choice to land and flutter about in those old dark places In the past, but now with the knowledge that I will always be transformed and never return to the old self. And I love that illustration. It was just so powerful for me. It really helped me to see this idea that we've been talking about, about what it means to be a new creation. Because I I said, you know, last week we're new creations, but sometimes we still act more like that old creation. 
And the reason is because we live in tension. And, and I want to talk about that again. We, we hit on it in Galatians, and it'll come up regularly as Paul writes, because we need to understand the dynamic of this tension. And culturally, we don't like to live in tension. But scripturally, tension exists because we live between two ages, this present age and the age to come. We call it the now and the not yet. Jesus has come and he's inaugurated the kingdom. When he comes back, he'll consummate the kingdom. But in this time now, we live between those two things. The kingdom is here, but not fully here. And understanding that is so important for us in order to understand the life that he has for us. But the tendency we have is want to be at one extreme or the other. It's all here now, or none of it's here now, and yet neither are true. We live in a tension. And, and again, we, we, we usually want to solve that tension, but rather than trying to solve it, what we need to do is just embrace it. This is part of this life. And that's where we begin to find some life in the process, embracing the tension. And Paul is so good about giving us examples of this uh, life in, in embracing this tension. And today he does it in Ephesians 1. And so the first point is this. I want to talk for a moment about the incredible deposit that we have. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed... You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news. Whenever I read about good news of the gospel, I want to stop and make sure that we all understand what that is because it's, uh, it's so foundational to this life. We talk about it all the time. The gospel, the good news. When you hear that, you should think about 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That should just pop into your brain. And in that verse, it says to us this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the message that people need to hear and respond to in order to go from darkness into light. That's the heart of the message. And that's according to the scriptures that from the time of the fall, uh, this amazing redemptive path works through it until the cross and and that jesus death and resurrection is all part of it life death and resurrection in, in bringing us back to him so that's all this thing that's happening from then until the very cross and and so uh, we respond to that when we confess with our mouths that jesus is lord and believe in our hearts that god raised him from the dead we're saved we're connected to that message that's where we find life Paul says when you make that commitment, something happens. You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He says the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, a deposit. He's a deposit of what you're going to get. So there's some of it that you've got now. The Holy Spirit has come into your life. But that's not all there is. There's an inheritance that's coming that's even greater. And, and for a moment, just think about how amazing that is. I just thought, I don't even know that we can comprehend it. Because the Holy Spirit, now that's an incredible deposit. He's come into our lives. God, fully God. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit now dwelling in us, leading us, guiding us, teaching us. Uh, amazing to even 
try and comprehend. And he's just a deposit on what's coming. But it's tension, right? He's here, and so we've got this deposit, but there's more to come. And we have to embrace that we live in this in between two things. So the tension's not going away. But what we learn from that is, is what's so important is that the, the future certainties, the future promises, knowing what's coming, uh, embracing those things really impacts the way that we live today. Because we know that all that's true and all that's coming, it changes us for today. And it allows us and helps us then to know that we, we're to yield to the Holy Spirit so he brings these changes in us. I said last week about being new creations that ultimately it comes down to yielding to the Holy Spirit and reading the Word of God. And I want to expand on that today because that's what Paul really talks about here in Ephesians 1. So point number two is this. Let's talk about yielding to the Spirit, this incredible deposit that we have. Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. See, we we need to know God more so that we trust him more. And the more we know him, the more we trust him. I read this story. I thought it was really good. Uh, A little boy um, asks his dad this question. He said, Daddy, how big is God? And the Dad looks up into the sky, and there's a plane way up there, and he says, well, son, how big is that airplane? And the son looks up and says, well, it's very small, Daddy. I can barely see it. And he says, okay, get in the car, and they drive to the airport, and they get to the airport, and there's these big jets. And he says to his son, he says, well, son, how, how big are the airplanes? He says, well, they're, they're very, very big, Daddy. And the, the father says to his son, well, see, that's what God is like. The closer you are to him, the bigger he is. See, that's what he wants us to know, is that the more we know him, the bigger he is, the more we trust him. And really, that's a big part of what we're going through in this life. We're learning to trust God in the process because God designed us uh, to operate on trust. We're reasoning creatures made in the image of God, but he didn't make us gods. Um, he, He didn't give us capacities to contain all knowledge and all wisdom, we only contain very small amounts of each. He didn't give us power to bring something into being in our own strength. He, he designed us to trust him with whatever knowledge, with whatever strength, with whatever power he gives us, and, and then to know that we can trust him when all of those things reach our limits. He's still God. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We've talked in this series quite a bit about Adam and Eve and the fall and what happened. And what happened um, with Adam and Eve in the garden is that they broke trust with God by eating the forbidden fruit. And, and what we see from that point on, this, this thing that I've been talking about, this redemptive story that, that leads from that point in time in Genesis 3.15 to the cross, is God weaving things back together so that sinful us can be reconciled to him and begin to um, trust him again in a restored relationship. And that's what's taking place throughout this entire story, and so that we can trust him again with all our hearts. So no matter who you are, no matter what gifts or abilities or talents you have, no matter what your background, it ultimately comes down to trusting God with all our heart by yielding to the Holy Spirit. 
And, and I think the reality is that that's fairly simple, but it's not easy. Um, because, you know, Jesus said this in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I believe that's true. We love Jesus and we want to do what he says. We want to live that kind of life. That's what we're attempting to do. And yet, we live in a fallen world, a broken planet with a very real enemy. 1 John five nineteen. we know that we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And we've talked about this idea of tension. We're new creations, but that old creation is still around. We still are living this thing out in a, in a body with sinful impulses. Paul said in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is uh, contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Any of you ever battle your flesh? Yes. See, the, we want to do what Jesus wants us to do. We want to live like that. But here's the reality. There's a very real enemy. It's a fallen world. It's a broken planet. And we still have this mess that we're trying to deal with to move it in the right direction, which is why we need to yield to the Spirit. And, and I love that Jesus said that. The, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I was thinking about that this week. So... Um, I'm going to say I like to run, which is kind of a stretch. But but uh, for the last seven years or so, I've been running as part of my routine. And uh, I'm not a great runner. You know, like Pastor Barry was here earlier, and, and he, he runs 10, 12 miles. He doesn't even sweat. Uh, he's a runner. I'm not like that. If I can run a mile or two miles or maybe, you know, really crazy three miles, uh, a couple of three times a week, that's a big deal for me. But last June, I hurt my knee. I didn't hurt my knee running. People always ask. I didn't. I was literally just standing there, and my knee went, pow. And I went, oh, that can't be good. (laughs) I'd never had that before, but I was anticipating a problem. You ever have that? You get to a certain point in your life, and then something will happen, and this is the first question I always ask. Hmm, I wonder if that's permanent. (laughs) I'm just not sure. Because you don't know, you can go to sleep some days, everything's fine, and you wake up and you can't, like, you're like, what in the world happened? I was sleeping. And so you get some new things that are going on in your life, and you, you wonder, and you have those questions, well, that happened with my knee, and I thought, well, I've never had that before, but that was really, it really hurt. It was very painful. And, uh, and you know, I kind of toughed it out for a couple of months, hoping it would get better, and we were busy anyway, and then it wasn't getting any better, and I couldn't run, I couldn't do any of those things. It was just enough to come in here and walk around. And so I finally, okay, I've got to go to the doctor, and the doctor takes it, and I have to take pictures and x-rays and more pictures and a second doctor, and I've torn my meniscus. And, uh, oh, it really hurts. And then, then we have to schedule to fix that, you know, so we have to have a surgery. And so I, I finally got into surgery sometime in October, and, and then, you know, you have to rest a little bit. So sort of November, December, and, and anyway, I get into the new year, and I think January, okay, I'm going I'm to start exercising. I've got to start, you know, getting back into shape because I wasn't doing anything. And then February, and I thought, okay, beginning of February, I'm going to start to run again in February. That was my plan, stretched and everything, all January. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. And uh, I get down there the first sort of day in February that I can run, and I'm all excited. You know, the Spirit's willing. I'm pumped up, and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this thing. And I get my phone out, and I get all dialed up to run and get some music going. It's going to track my run. I say, here we go. And I get out there. A quarter of a mile in, which isn't very far, I felt like I was going to explode. (laughs) 
I couldn't breathe. My head's pounding. Everything hurts. And I don't know if that's a new pain. Is that a, am I doing something? I'm going on. And so a quarter of a mile in, I, had, I just had to shut it down and stop. It was kind of defeating, you know, because the spirit was willing. But the, the flesh, I hadn't run in like eight months. <laughs> and it was like, you're not running anymore. I figured, oh, I'm going to do a mile. No problem. Nothing. Quarter of a mile. So, okay, so I run, you know, and I, so the first week in February, I just do a quarter of a mile that week, every now and again, and then second week, I get it up to a half a mile, and then I got it up to third week, three quarters of a mile, and then just the other day, I ran a mile for the first time in eight or nine months, and I'd like to tell you that I felt good at the end of the mile. I did not feel good at all, and in my mind, so I get, I see people running sometimes, and I love people that are running like this, you see this? These are like runners, you know what I mean? They're feeling good. They're happy to be out there. And I'm like, oh, in my mind, that's what I want. But me, when I'm running, it's much more like the walking dead. It's like, (laughs) people are running into their homes because they're not sure what's about to take place. (laughs) But the spirit's willing. The flesh is a mess. So put that into your lives. You know, I'm not talking about exercise and stuff, but but the old, the flesh, it's a struggle. See, it's a, it's a dynamic, and we, we, we need to press on in Him, and we do that by yielding to the Spirit. And here's the thing. I like to think about this. So every time in this life when we have an opportunity to choose to follow Him and to yield to the Spirit, and, and we choose to do that, we're in effect reenacting what happened at the fall. And every time we choose His way, it's a victory over the enemy. And I love those victories. See, that's what it's all about. So I think about that. Whenever you make that step, it's a a victory. And it's the opposite of what happened in the fall. So we yield to the Spirit. Then thirdly, we need to read the Word. I have, um, as part of this series, my hope is to encourage you to really read your Bibles. um, Too many people read this like a rule book. And so it becomes a chore and they just don't do it. And so I'm trying to, to find some ways to encourage you to look at it differently because it's not a rule book. It's, it's the most amazing book that's ever been written. And, and it's the story of Jesus. When you read it, you need to look for him in there. And it's so amazing. It's, it was written over thousands of years, 66 books by 40 different authors, and yet it all is weaved together and it ties together from beginning to end. The, the first three chapters are about paradise lost and the last three about paradise regained. And everything in between is how God is moving these stories together and people together. And, and you need to see that because he's weaving your story into his and he's inviting you to it. And so as you read the book with some life and look at it like a, like a mystery or a drama or a tragedy or a comedy, but, but take it in a way and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you in the process. We've talked about that. When you read, the Holy Spirit, would you show me what you need me to see? Paul said, remember in verse 17, I want you to know God better. And then verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So Paul wants you to know him, know God better. And then he wants to uh, have you get to a spot where your spiritual IQ is being increased. The, the eyes of your heart are seeing the things that are going on in here. We don't settle for just following a bunch of rules or anything else, but we, we embrace this and we read it and we, we see what he has to say on this journey. So I have been sharing with you 
different sorts of types in the Bible. Remember, we, we talked about supper to supper to supper, if you were here a few weeks ago. And then last week, I talked about garden to garden to garden, because I want you to make some connections about how these stories are being weaved together. Well, as I was thinking about that last garden last week, which was the, the resurrection tomb and, and how Jesus comes out of it, um, I started to think about some, some something that's very similar between the, the resurrection and the birth of Jesus. And, and I thought we could talk about that just for a moment so you can see it in the scripture. So the Lord, as you know, was born uh, to Joseph of Bethlehem and Mary of Nazareth. He was born that way. He was born in a supernatural way. Uh, so in effect, he was, he was you know, placed supernaturally into a, a virgin worm, because, womb, worm, womb, because Mary had known no man on this journey, Luke 1.34. And so the conception of Jesus was altogether miraculous and supernatural. But the birth would uh, be very natural birth. Um, Mary, because of the, the curse of the fall, would have experienced pain in, in labor that we happen. I love that Jesus says this um, because in John 16, he talks about childbirth and he's using it to comfort his disciples right around the same period of time. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So, so seeing uh, Jesus uh, after the birth would have brought Mary great joy. I, I have never pushed a baby out personally. I have been in the room a couple of times and I've seen the amazing transformation from intense pain and anguish to joy when, when the baby happens. And that would have been Mary's experience. She would have gone from this anguish to joy. And uh, they, they would have then washed the baby after he was born, and Joseph would have been a part of that process and washed the, the blood of birth off of him, and, and together they wrapped baby Jesus in, in linens. They placed him in a manger. Luke 2.7 says that. It's in, the, in your notes. And then um, suddenly angels uh, appear announcing good news. Verse 13 and 14, glory to God in the highest. You know the story. And on earth, you know, peace to whom his favor rests. So you have this amazing set of things happening around the birth. Now, let's look at the resurrection with that in mind. And, and in John and Luke, we get the account of the resurrection. Now, in the resurrection, fascinatingly, there's a new Joseph and a new Mary in the story. Not coincidence that these things happen. God weaves stories together. And the new Joseph is Joseph of Arimathea. And the new Mary is Mary of Magdala. And we're told by John that um, Jesus' body after the cross was washed according to Jewish burial customs. John 1940, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it uh, with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial uh, customs. So Joseph of Arimathea, and the other person that's helping him is Nicodemus at that time. That's significant too. But they would have washed Jesus' body from the blood of the crucifixion according to the customs, and they wrapped him in linen. Now, interestingly... Uh, they then placed him into a tomb where no one had ever been laid before. So, in effect, it was a virgin tomb. Mary is also in the process. She's watching from the background, Luke 23, 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Jesus, saw the tomb, how the body was laid in it. So Jesus' body then is taken into effect what would be a virgin tomb, and he's placed there. That's John 19, 41. We know that, that Mary um, was, was just in anguish over these events and she's weeping and she's crying because she thinks she'll never see the Lord again. She's outside the tomb crying in John 20:11, And then Luke tells us suddenly angels appear with good news. 
Seen some of these things happening before? And the angel appears and, and says this in, in verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And when Mary sees Jesus, which happens next, she's filled with joy, indescribable joy. She goes from anguish to joy. And in John twenty eighteen, Mary went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. Do you see the pictures and the stories being woven together in this process from the birth to the resurrection? Because Jesus, he wants you to see this. God wants you to see that in the word, he's constantly weaving stories together. He's invited you to bring your story into his. And he'll take all of our stories, the the good and the bad, and he weaves it into this much bigger story, which is his story. And there's things happening all the time that bring things amazing completion. Like, think about this. I was thinking about this. So... So Jesus, you know, supernaturally, he goes into the womb and he comes out in a natural way. And then in a very natural way, he goes into the tomb, but he comes out of the tomb supernaturally. And there's a completion to that cycle in the process that's in the story. How about this? There's no coincidences. He's wrapping stories together. Nicodemus, you've heard that name before, right? Nicodemus was a Pharisee who went to Jesus in the night in John chapter 3 to talk about life and what it means and what it's all about. And Jesus told him he had to be born again. And Nicodemus says this. He says, what are you talking about? Do I have to go into the womb a second time? It's not coincidence that Nicodemus is there and he helps Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus' body into a virgin tomb. And he sees him resurrected. I just can't help but he gets this big aha moment. And he goes, ah, I get it. That's what he's talking about. See, it's not about going back into the womb. It's about rebirth, new birth. It's about confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The scripture says, then you're saved, reborn, made new. Whatever you need there for that word, that's what takes place. But see, all of this is happening in this amazing story. And, and you need to know that, that you're included in that story in Christ, that, that he's so amazing. He's given us this incredible deposit of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know life, so we yield to the Spirit, and we read the Word, and we see how our story is weaved into his, and how he's taken that mess and bringing it into something completely beautiful, and he's constantly doing these completion things, even in us. Look, read the Scripture that way. Read it with an anticipation and an expectation of what God is doing in there. Don't ever let it become a chore or duty or a rule book. It's not like that. It's life-giving. It's the most amazing book there is. We're filled with the most amazing spirit that you can have so that you can experience the most amazing life now and forever. So that's Paul's beginning for us in Ephesians. And uh, we'll pick it up there next week.